How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? Trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would but they never don't even be a part the of a church that is not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual Do you understand how ridiculous that is when the majority of people on the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the culture How is that actually? It seems like so much of the church anti-critical they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. Now, I've been having some great, great, great interviews lately. I, it's probably been three to four weeks since I've done one of these episodes on my own. Today I want to talk about churches who desire to be welcoming, but maybe have no idea how to do that, have a theology that doesn't allow them to do that, have a culture in place that truly doesn't allow them to do that. So today I want to talk about welcoming, um, how to include people. I want to talk about ideas of clean and unclean, about the need for the ego to always have people who are insiders and outsiders, and the connection between all of those, and showing us what are the things we need to let go of to actually become the welcoming spaces that we desire to be. Because sometimes... Sometimes churches are outright that you know they're not going to welcome everybody. But there's many churches that, you know, they'll say, you know, everybody's welcome. Right? Come just as you are. Everybody's welcome. And I think in their hearts, in many of those churches, they desire to be welcoming. Right? They want to be a community that is truly open and safe and welcoming of everybody. But I also believe even if their intentions are right, there are things like their theology, like their culture, like their way of seeing humanity, there are things that get in the way of them ever being able to actually become what they claim to already be. So let's just talk about a couple of what those things are. The first thing, when I say we, I mean any, this this is true for the church, but this is true for friendships. This is true for relationships. This is true for our tribal sense of who do we see as connected with us and a part of our tribe, right? So this is, I'm speaking more directly to the church, but this is just true for being welcoming as a whole. So let's just zoom out a little bit when I say that. So let's start here. The first thing we need to let go of in order to become more welcoming and inclusive is the need to control other people's journey. Let me start with the story. There's about 25 of us gathered around our table and trying to squeeze into the kitchen to pray together before we started dinner. This was an intentional moment we always had on these nights to remind people about being present, about waking up to the miracle of the mundane, about how we, about how we, I say we, I mean my wife and I, how we have the audacity to believe that the entire mystery of the universe is packed into these kitchens, living rooms in the midst of all of us. And this one night in the early life of our church, 
right when we were quieting down and about to pray, Callie, this young and vibrant man from Los Angeles who had moved out to Hawaii, whose energy was just felt wherever he went. Like he's hilarious, he's sincere, he's interesting, he's funny, he just has that kind of energy. And right when we were, you know, standing around this table, probably like 25 or so of us, right when we were about to pray, Callie takes out a 40 ounce of Colt 45 and places it right in the middle of the table where everybody was gathered around. I don't know if you're familiar with malt liquor and 40 ounces. I grew up with 40 ounces all the time. And Colt 45 for some people is a staple. Some people think Mickey. Some people think... Uh, um, Steel Reserve, oh, there's all kinds that would be around, right? So Cali, like me, growing up in California, was in that same atmosphere. Here in this gathering for this new church, <clears throat> right before the prayer begins, when everyone's attention is focused, he busts out his 40 and just puts it on display for all to see. Which, by the way, I did suspect wasn't his first 40 of the night either. So what when, when you think about that scene, what was my early pastoral response to this? I'm probably 29 at the time. So, I mean, I did the one thing that made sense. It would make sense, which made sense. I asked Callie to be the one to pray for dinner. And although at first he resisted because he had never prayed in public before, I put him on the spot and he finally gave in. And so when he does, he prays this hilarious, honest, heartfelt prayer. And then the night moved on and we started to eat. A little while later, as I was pouring myself a glass of wine, Callie walked up to where the drinks were. Because apparently for him, it was time to transition from malt liquor to white wine. And right when he came up, I smiled and said, I know you were testing people when you did that. And he kind of laughed a little, but got serious and responded with, you know, I ain't going to lie. I, I was testing people. He said, I don't know these people, Kev. He said, I know you accept me as I am, but I don't know about everyone else. And plus, you said I could be accepted here for me. And if this was a Wednesday night and I was at my place alone, I would be drinking this 40 ounce. So if I can be accepted for me, for who I am here, well, like this is me. In that defining moment. I specifically asked him to pray because I knew that he was testing people, seeing if he was right in his assumption that they were going to judge him, reject him, or get uncomfortable when he did that. And I needed him and everyone else who was a part of our church in the beginning to see that the moment he thought he was going to be excluded, he was included. The moment he thought he would be rejected, he was welcomed. And the moment he assumed his voice would be devalued or silenced, it was actually elevated in the community and celebrated by the church as he prayed. Deciding to respond this way, the way I did, was me saying to the community, whatever you think about what it means to be embraced and welcomed by the church needs to be let go of if you're going to be a part of building this new thing. You have ideas about how you're supposed to behave in church that need to be let go of for us to become a place defined by that boundary-breaking and Christ-shaped hospitality in the Gospels. 
you have mental categories of how to decide when and where a person is acceptable to God that need to be surrendered. The very space that is supposed to be known by its faith, hope, and love too often has become a place that is known for its fear, judgment, and hypocrisy. And to be a truly welcoming community, we have to get over our need to control people and their process. This is why the great Henry Nouwen wrote, to die to our neighbors means to stop judging them, to stop evaluating them, and thus to become free, to be compassionate. To which I would add, to become free, to be loving and inclusive and welcoming and accepting. We have to die to our neighbors, which means we stop judging them and stop evaluating them. And that is what frees us to become inclusive, welcoming, and accepting. Our job is to free people to encounter God authentically, not shame them to follow rules superficially. An inclusive community has no boundaries to keep people out, but it does trust there is something compelling at the center which draws people in. There are no gatekeepers and lawmakers turning people away because everyone is perpetually invited to move closer to the center, which is Christ itself. This is why my question for religious people specifically who spend energy worrying about who is being embraced is this. What does what they're doing have to do with what you're experiencing? Or what is their behavior have to do with your ability to find life. See, when we are focused on what others are doing with their life, we miss out on what God is doing in our life. When I see people judging others, I see people who on some level still struggle with feeling judged. When I see people refusing to give grace to others, I see people who probably have a really hard time experiencing grace and trusting in their own value. When I see people judging others, I see people who do not know for themselves how good God actually is and how valuable they are. See, judgment is us telling people who they aren't. And grace is us trusting in who we are. We can let go of the burden of controlling other people's journeys and not only free them up to experience God in life more deeply, but free ourselves up to do the same. Are you tracking with me? Are you pacing? Are you with me so far? The first thing we need to let go of to actually be welcoming is our need to control other people's process. I'm going to do one more right now. Uh, Another thing we need to, because remember what I'm saying is, Even for people who have the intentions of being welcoming, there's things that they don't realize they are doing that are getting in the way. So let's talk about a couple of those things. The second thing we need to let go of in order to become more inclusive is our antiquated ideas about people being clean and unclean and the need to decide who is in and who is out. Let me tell you some stories. I believe they're all from the history of our church imagine over the years. A young woman who was relatively new to our church came out for the first time publicly 
right before she entered the water to get baptized. It was amazing to see how the love and inclusion of the church was the welcoming of her over the threshold into the love and inclusion of God. See, I have a running joke with a woman in Imagine who works in design and is a yogi and finds herself drawn to the contemplative stream of Christianity. I always say to her, the less certain you get about your beliefs about Jesus, the more free you become in Christ. There's this guy who had gotten out of prison and was coming to church for the first time. And he used to tell me he would be tracking with me so much as I preached. But whenever I said the name Jesus, it would throw him off and confuse him. And yet I could see the spirit breaking him down, clearing the way and preparing him for a new future. Even without the name of Jesus, the presence of Christ was changing him. In the early years of Imagine, while we were still meeting in our house, I preached about the power of being seen by God. During communion, I looked at my porch and saw a young person from our church sitting down who wasn't there before that. And when I looked up again, he was gone. I went outside and found him walking and he says, hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm on mushrooms right now. He's like, I'm just on a journey walking around. He said, but I felt like God wanted me to tell you that he sees you. And then he just walked off into the night with a smile on his face. And by the way, that was that same kid, Callie, who put the 40 answer on the table. So you can see why I just love him so much. Another Sunday morning during worship, there was a time of storytelling between songs. So this young local girl shares about her experience at the church, being welcomed and feeling at home as an LGBTQ person. And I look out the crowd and see this young LGBTQ person who I'd never seen before. I just, you know, met and got to know more later. But I looked out, never, never stepped foot in our church. I don't know about her experience with church. First time hearing any kind of stories like that. And there's just tears streaming down her face. I remember a more conservative middle-aged woman who's been a part of different churches forever, listening to a story like this one morning, having never heard an LGBTQ person share in front of a church, and she asked, can you do this? You see, traveling the way of Jesus is more of a faith process than a finished product. Who is clean and unclean? Which of these people is in and which ones are out? Who is the real Christian? The person who doesn't believe in Jesus but is experiencing the Spirit? Or the middle-aged woman who believes in Jesus but is having a hard time experiencing the Spirit present in that space? Or perhaps the more important question is, are these even helpful questions? We believe strongly and then we begin to doubt. We have experienced the presence of God but we aren't sure what to believe about God. We are intrigued by and even committed to Christ, but we still have so many questions. We want to go all in, but there are all kinds of cultural and religious barriers that are usually getting in the way. We know we are unconditionally embraced by God, but still broadly reject, or but still broadly rejected and excluded by the church. See, faith is always a process because life is always a process. We keep focusing on giving people answers, conclusions, and trying to get them in. Jesus seemed more interested in questions, a path, 
and trying to help people move forward. There's a famous and simple story about Jesus around the dinner table. In Mark 2, 15 through 17, the gospel writer writes, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with all the sinners and tax collectors, or with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To begin, it is an astounding reversal that we always see Jesus drawing in everyday people and pissing off religious authorities, when now it seems like the church pisses off everyday people and draws in religious authorities. In this story, the religious authorities and gatekeepers are upset and offended that Jesus is eating with certain people. And it's not just that the keepers of the law were uncomfortable with some of these people personally. It was that these people who were sharing this intimate space with Jesus were considered ceremonially unclean. And if they were considered ceremonially unclean, then by proximity, that would mean Jesus was unclean. These people were outsiders who did not belong to their tribe. They hadn't performed the rituals. They didn't have the right beliefs. And if Jesus were a good Jew, he would have corrected them and removed himself from that setting. They questioned Jesus because they believed they were defending God. They saw Jesus's inclusion of them as an actual offense to God. The law they were upholding from God did not give Jesus the permission to love like God. For them, There were clear categories of clean and unclean, in and out, accepted and rejected, included and excluded. And they believed it was their religious obligation to not only maintain these lines, but to constantly decide who was in which category. This is what is called religion as discrimination, or we could call it spirituality by elimination. But in the Gospels, Jesus radically reframes notions of clean and unclean and inclusion and exclusion. Rather than focusing on unclean people, Jesus focuses on the boundaries separating clean from unclean and says that's what's evil. The separating boundary itself is the problem. And the entire system that perpetuates the ideas of clean and unclean is what's actually evil. You see, those people are not the problem the way you see those people as the problem. What's sinful is not the people on the other side of the line. What's sinful is the line itself. What's sinful is not the people rejected by the system. What's sinful is the very religious system that is doing the rejecting. What's sinful is not the people who we exclude from within our boundaries. What's sinful is the exclusionary boundaries themselves. What's sinful is not whoever is out when we decide who is in and who is out. What's sinful is the very spirit that spends all of its energy worrying about who's in and who's out. Love dismantles all of the boundaries that separate us, including and especially the ones you believe were set in place by God. 
As long as we are obsessing over or spending our energy protecting boundaries, which don't exist, defending God, who doesn't need it, making our cases for who is unclean and clean, which aren't even valid categories, or standing up for God's laws, which are nothing in the presence of God's love, we will not get to witness these beautiful stories that you heard earlier that the Spirit is waiting to write through life. So if you find yourself spending more energy worrying about who is being welcomed and accepted by the church than you do spending time with people others are worried about you accepting and spending time with, you might just be missing this whole thing. Letting go of what we see as the exclusive rules of God's law has the power to make room for all of humanity to know the inclusive reality of God's love.